Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. It won't be long now till I greet you with the Christmas greeting, but not quite yet. Hopefully, you're still very ever more deeper into the preparation, though, for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of God in the flesh, the great condescension, as we say in the Eastern churches, the kenosis, the self-emptying of God, his humiliation. Those things may sound kind of negative, but they're actually not. See, in spirituality, especially Eastern spirituality, always living in the both and, that which is one thing is also the other. The humiliation of God, his condescension, we would see as a negative, that is actually then our joy and his victory, just as his death on the cross was his victory and victory for us. These things happen simultaneously. This is the great great mystery, the mystical aspect of our faith, where two things can converge and be one, yet still being different entities all at the same time. Oh, that's kind of a tough one to think about. It's because we live in a culture which just does not think mystically, unfortunately. We'd be better off if we did think and see mystically, sacramentally. It's one of the reasons why I am committed to this program, to try to share and communicate that mystical vision, which is very, very much a part of what I would call the genius of the Eastern churches. You live in the both and. Something is this and that at the same time. We have a challenge with that, I know, as modern Western people, because we think very left brain, very rational, very either or. How can something be this and that at the same time? Well, it can. It's called a mystery. That's precisely why it's a mystery, because it exists, it's real, but we can't always explain it. So our fasting, our prayer, are all the things that we are doing that seem to be negative, the abstinence, the pulling back, the greater silence, the getting rid of things, purging of ourselves, purging ourselves of not only sin, but also physical things, clutter. Those things are in the negative, but they're also affirmative at the same time, because from that, we grow in joy. 
You ever notice the feeling you have when you finally do get to that house cleaning you want to do or that cleaning out these closets that stuff has, has been in there for years you haven't touched? I know I'm guilty of that. And it's such a marvelous feeling that as you purge, you're feeling so much better. So the negative is the purging. You're going through all that junk and the dirt and the mess and the dust because a lot of that stuff was just collecting dust. You're going through that and Sometimes you don't want to get rid of certain things. You almost forgot you had it. Like, oh, this, oh yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want to get rid of that. But then you have to. But that results in a, well, in a kind of a good feeling, a feeling of greater order. And order is of God. So whenever we're making order, we are doing something very godly. So why not make that part of your preparation, your Phillips fast, or in the Western church, your Advent discipline? It really is about cleaning house, about getting things in order. Jesus' incarnation, you know, God coming in the flesh, his condescension, his kenosis, really is about bringing order, bringing the order of love, of peace, of goodness, of truth, beauty into this world, and most particularly into the human condition. I like the way St. John Paul II talks about it in his Theology of the Body, puts it in the form of basically three eras, historical eras of mankind. The original one that's in the Garden of Eden before sin, and then historical, the historical era, the era that we live in, post-original sin, which has a lot of disorder to it. And Christ comes into that disorder precisely because it's disordered. He wants to bring order back to it. He wants to take us back to that original man time, that original history. We can't go back there entirely, as St. John Paul II even says. We can't go back there entirely. However, we can retrieve an echo of that. But it's okay, because Jesus did something even better. He came through the incarnation, through the miracle of Christmas, the Christmas event, the nativity, God becoming physically present in the form of a human being in every way except sin. What he did was, as he came into our reality, he lifts us up and takes us even beyond what was intended for Adam and Eve. As glorious as their destiny was, we have one even more glorious because God himself came down and purchased, paid the ransom for us and purchased that glory for us. And we see that glory reflected in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ and also in the body of the Virgin Mary that went together with her soul intact. She went as an integrated being, a virginal being, which means intact. She passes gently, beautifully into the next life, body and soul together. And this era is called the eschatological man, the eschatological era. In other words, the final things, the last things, where our destiny is. So Jesus comes into this historical period to redeem it, to redeem the body, to redeem humanity, to redeem creation, and take it to the heights with him in heaven. So Christ coming into this period of time, this post-original sin period, was to bring order. He brings order into the disorder. The key, though, is for us to be aware of that, to think, to live incarnationally. In other words, that God has enfleshed himself. He's entered into his own matter, his own creation, especially the human person. Now, that means that everything is infused with the presence of God, and that determines how we then behave towards it, towards everything. 
there's an art to everything. There really is. There's an art to the most menial task. There's an art and a way of doing things, no matter what they are, no matter what discipline, from the most sophisticated to the most seemingly simple or banal. One of my relatives, who's a physician, said to me, medicine isn't really a science. It is, but not really. It's really an art. And that's true. Everything has an art to it. There's an art to being a scientist. There's a way to be that, a certain knack, a certain flair. There's a way, of course, to be an artist, a musician, a way to play a football game, to play your position in any sport. There's a flair to it. There's a way to do it. There's a way to shovel dirt, to plant flowers. There's a way to pray. There's a way to be married, to be a parent, to be a priest, to be whomever and whatever. Everything has its own integrity. That's one thing I've noticed in life. Everything has its own integrity. Now, what that means is that everything must have some form of God's presence in it, some revelation of God, some aspect of order to it. That's really what integrity means. Integrity means something has its own ordered identity that has a certain dignity and a value that is unique to itself. So a bird, a tree, a flower, a hammer, a piano, a human being, a chalice, whatever it is, it has its own integrity. For those of you who, for example, play golf, you know what I'm talking about. What's one of the things you're always told when you learn how to play golf? You have to be reminded over and over again that golf was one of those sports you have to be reminded about all the time because there's so many ways that you can make mistakes in it. One of the things we're always told in golf, for example, is let the club do the work. And isn't part of the art of golf, especially you have a wise caddy like the pros do, is to use the right club for the right shot because that each club has its own integrity. It acts in a way that it can only act that way. And when you use that club according to what it is, its integrity, then the ball goes well when you hit it. It goes where you want it to go, how you want it to go, how far you want it to go, how high you want it to go, however you want it to go. It will go that way if and only if you use the correct club according to its own integrity. Like you wouldn't use a putter to drive the ball off the tee and expect it to go two or 300 yards. Conversely, you won't use your driver to putt the ball into the hole on the green. That's just one analogy for all of life. Everything has its own integrity, and that, to me, is a sign of the incarnation, how God infuses his presence in everything. And what we're supposed to be doing now as we're cleaning house through prayer, fasting, and increased charity, we're supposed to be purifying our vision, getting the clutter, not only out of our closets, but out of our mind and heart of our vision, so that we do in fact see this infused presence of God in everything. And we approach everything with its own integrity. You know, it's a wonderful way to go through life because you appreciate everything. Let's say you don't necessarily appreciate a particular sport. Maybe you don't golf. But if you approach golf or whatever, Maybe you don't like a particular kind of music. Maybe you don't like race car driving or whatever. But if you look at those things with that eye of seeing the integrity of them, you actually learn to appreciate them. I find that to be a lot of fun in life, actually. I may not understand something, but if I'm introduced to it and I observe it carefully, 
I'm always inspired and amazed by the integrity of that thing. And when people approach that thing who know what it's about, they approach it according to that integrity. So they're good at it. Even though I may not particularly like it or be that interested in it, I can walk away from it having experienced the integrity of that thing, no matter what it is. And that, of course, comes to its high point in the human person, the integrity and dignity of the human person. This is what we're trying to prepare ourselves for. This is what the incarnation, the Christmas event is all about. We'll talk more about this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why does St. Nicholas deliver gifts under the cover of night? Well, that tradition began in my hometown of Patara in Asia Minor when I came to the help of a destitute man who had three grown daughters. He was so poor that he could barely feed them. Because he was so desperate, he was tempted to sell them into slavery. Then I remember the words of Jesus who said, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so I put together three bags of gold coins and tossed them through the window at night to help them. That was the first of my midnight visits. And that's the reason to this very day, even when I'm dressed as Santa Claus, I still deliver gifts under the cover of night. May the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaimed on that first Christmas animate your own heart to give hope to those most in need. For Christ is born. Glorify Him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host, walking with you through this Phillips Fast. And boy, it's going fast, isn't it? A little pun intended. Or, for those of you who are the Latin Rite, and sometimes we use this too in the Eastern Rites, the season of Advent, which started just a little bit after the Phillips Fast of the Eastern Churches, but it's the same thing. Colors of purple, dark colors, penitential, going to confession, praying, fasting, increased charity. And, as we're talking about today, making order, bringing order to disorder, getting rid of the clutter in our lives. Now, the church assists us on our journey, as it always does. And this is why the liturgical life of the church is so crucial for us and so helpful. Don't think of the holy days and the things that the church asks of us, especially going to church. Don't think of that as an obligation, as a drudgery, as getting in the way. Think of it as little helps along the way, little signposts on our journey. Everything about the church is to help us. It's, it's benevolent. The church is intrinsically benevolent and very, very human. It understands what we as humans need, especially because it understands our fallen side. It knows the helps that we need to be at our best, but it also knows what we love as human beings at our best. We love joy and celebration and love and community. We love that. So the church does that too. 
And it's all rolled up in the ingeniousness of the liturgical calendar. For example, this week in the Eastern churches, this Sunday is called the Sunday of the Forefathers. Next week will be also the Sunday of the Ancestors of Christ, sometimes also called the Forefathers. But this Sunday, it's December 15th, that second Sunday before Christmas in the Byzantine liturgical calendar focuses our attention on the ancestors of Christ who were basically the ancestors according to the law, according to the plan of salvation, in part through blood lineage, but more so through the lineage of the covenant. So we focus all the way back on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Sunday of the patriarchs is another word for this, or the ancestors of Christ, the holy forefathers. This is when we look back into the Old Testament. So that's how we always read the Old Testament now that we have the New Testament. Ever since Christ came, we look back into it and say, oh, well, that's what that meant. That's what these figures were all about. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were foreshadowings of Christ. They were types of the archetype who is Jesus Christ in their own respective ways. So we look back at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We look back at the covenant, that relationship between God and us, that relationship of love, of of an agreement to love each other, for us to be faithful and to trust God as he is being loving towards us. That's all he asks, just trust me. Just trust me. Let me be your God, and you'll see wonderful things that I will do for you. And how God's love and his covenant remained always faithful. So that's the point of a covenant. A covenant has no what they call torts. In other words, no excuses. It is what it is. That's it. You, We both agree to this, and there's no excuses. That's how it works. And the covenant that God established with the Israelites, which basically is establishing it with us and all creation, is, I will be your God. You will accept me, acknowledge me as your God, and worship me, and I will love you. If you don't agree to that, or if you waver from that, things will not go well for you. If you don't waver, things will go very well for you. And that's it. Guess what? Between the two, Israel or God, God was the one that was absolutely consistent in the covenant, because that's what covenants are. They're absolutely consistent. No excuses. They don't waver. This is how it goes. The Israelites, on their hand, their whole history of the Israelites is one of wavering from that covenant, back and forth, sometimes very faithful, many times very unfaithful, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of wavering, a lot of instability, a lot of insecurity, inconsistency, but with God, totally consistent. And that covenant was a preparation then for what would be the climax of the covenant, the new covenant, and that would be with the coming of Jesus Christ, where it would no longer be just obey me and follow laws. Yeah, it's always about obeying God and following his law, but his law now would give rise to a law that's, in a sense, without a law. As St. Paul talks about, that we don't need the law as it once was. The law now becomes perfected with Christ into a law, if you want to call it law, quote-unquote, or an order of love, of intimacy. For example, For those of you gentlemen who are listening, do you beat your wives? I know you probably think, what? Of course you don't beat your wife. Let me guess. The reason you don't beat your wife is because there's a law against it, right? And if you do that, you'll get arrested. That's why you don't beat her, right? 
Of course not. Do you need the law? No. You don't beat her because you know what would be wrong, plus you love her. And you don't beat people that you love and respect. And if you didn't really love them in the sense of, you know, that that close feeling of love like you have for your wife, even if you didn't have that feeling, you still wouldn't beat them, but especially your wife. You don't need the law to restrain you from that, unless there's something really wrong with you, but that's another case. Well, it's the same thing with Christianity. The covenant that God established was a relationship, but it needed a lot of laws. When Christ comes along, and that's what this nativity is, the incarnation is, it now becomes no longer a law, or you may say that it's a perfected law. It now, in a sense, morphs or develops into the law of love, of freedom, of the being free in the spirit, of wanting to do the right thing just for the sake of the right thing, not because of any law or obligation. Laws and obligation are part of the moral hierarchy, but they're not at the top. That's why it took a while for Jesus Christ to come, because he ushers in what is at the top of the moral hierarchy, and that is to obey God out of just absolute love, the experience of intimacy, just because he is so good. It's not that you need a law to love God, although we still have them, but when the relationship is real, it gives rise to what you ought to do is what also you want to do. See, that's love. That's intimacy. I'm supposed to love, and I want to love. I don't need to be told to do it. I don't need a law, a gun to my head, somebody forcing me. And that is what Christmas brought into our existence, a perfecting of the law, perfecting to the point where the law, in a sense, becomes no law. It becomes simply the sheer desire to love and to be intimate with God. And that's a mature love. That's why God had to build up to it over centuries with the original covenant. So we look back this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar at the old law and how it was the foundation. It was necessary. It was important. It's the foundation. That's why we look back on it and all those characters, those great men and women from the Old Testament. We look back at that and see the aha moment, you know, the why behind it all. Ah, this was all a prefigurement of Christ. It was all leading somewhere to something much more mature in terms of relationship and covenant. But yet we acknowledge how we got there. We acknowledge all the righteous people that formed that spiritual lineage and many times that physical lineage, the genealogy of Christ, which we'll get to next Sunday. We acknowledge all that in thankfulness, and we see the continuity of it all, how God worked out his plan over so much time, over centuries and centuries, through all these people and all their events, the the drama of their lives, how he worked that out all for us, for the Christ event and the post-Christ era, from the time of Christ till the end of time. Imagine all that buildup, and here we are, the inheritors of it. St. Paul even talked about that that which came before us was a preparation for us, as though God so favored us in this post-Christ era. I don't mean post-Christian, I mean the era that has come after the advent of Jesus Christ. How privileged we are 
So as we look at the lineage of Christ, we offer up to God, well, it should be our awe, absolutely awestruck at, at how God ordered all of this in preparation for all these centuries, for all these people, and how his benevolence, his love, his long-suffering love shone through, through all these people, all these centuries, and comes to that climactic moment by him coming and giving his own self as a gift to us. It's just incredible, incredible, this incarnation. And this is what we should be meditating on as we move more and more through repentance, through cleaning up, getting out the clutter, through increased prayer, fasting, and charity. This is what we should be focusing on, the awesome reality of the incarnation, just to behold this reality in our minds and hearts. That should be enough for us to say, boy, I had a great Christmas. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. The Spirit of Advent with Father Dominic Legg. In the liturgical season of Advent, we commemorate two comings of Christ. The first coming as a baby at Christmas, a coming in meekness and humility, laid in a manger in Bethlehem. The second coming of Christ, though, is his coming as king at the end of time, coming in power and glory, the king of justice and peace, coming to heal all divisions and to establish the reign of God. So we might ask this Advent, Are there problems in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my country? Certainly the answer is yes. Can Christ come to heal the problems, to heal the divisions, to establish his justice? Of course he can. So let's ask Christ to reign this Advent, to reign in my life, in my family, in our country, in our world. This would be a wonderful grace, this Advent. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.